0: You may be seated for a short time. We're going to come back and do some scripture. Uh, I was asked, and uh, I enjoy doing this, and I know this is normally something we do with with leaders um, or people that are interested, but in reality, the more I study on the subject, the more I realize that this is something that we are called to do as God's people, not just certain people, all of God's people. When you are filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, when you are, are baptized in his name, you've made a decision to live for God, and I'm talking about more than just Bible studies, I'm talking about making disciples because Jesus said for us to go out and to make disciples. That includes winning people and also making disciples out of those people. Disciples, this one with your hand raised, one word, what, what is the definition of disciple? Definition, one word, definition of disciple. Teach, actually, it's pupil. No, yes, yeah, and it works that way. It can go discipling, can be teaching. A disciple is a pupil, and that's as simple. We talk about it in the terms of mentoring, but I wanted to put the biblical term out first. Discipling is what we're talking about, but in our modern 21st century, it is mentoring. All right, so we'll use it in in that term as well. Uh, we are mentoring or helping people, and I hope with the time that I'm finished that you're going to get a just a little bit more, uh, just a little better idea of what this is all about. It's a couple of things that I I got into some old books that I had uh, I was in today, and and uh, this is goes way back, but I thought it was interesting. And this particular book just talked about it was about making leaders. It was about uh, church in general, what the pastors. Uh, responsibilities was what the people's responsibilities was but this particular uh, uh, area here about maturity is what I want to give to you first and this lady who wrote this said there are two definitions in the King James Version of maturity uh, and it, and she says this maturity is often translated as perfect and simply you've heard me say it many times uh, perfect being sincere or sincerity So in that sense, she goes on to say, maturity is engaging in behavior that is appropriate to the stage in which you are. So a four-year-old is mature when he or she does everything that's reasonable for a four-year-old to do. It's going to help you understand something. That's the reason I brought this out. So a four-year-old is a mature four-year-old if a four-year-old is doing what a four-year-old does. But you cannot expect a four-year-old to do what a 12-year-old does. So if that 4 year olds not doing 12-year-old things, you can't call that four-year-old immature. Do you get me? Do you get me? I don't know if you do or not. In other words, I win him to God and he's one year old. I can expect him to do what I do at 30 years old. And I can't expect a five-year-old to do what a one-year-old does. And it keeps going in whatever particular state we're in. I think, are you passing, please, he's passing out some things here. Uh, These are just for the adults. Um, As he passes these out, I'm going to be coming to them. So please be sure everybody gets one. Now, moving on. Uh, uh, So one definition in maturity is living up to the capacities God has made possible for you. So whatever God has made possible for you, it's being able to live up to that capacity. Now, the other definition has to do with qualities like those listed in Ephesians 4. A mature person is one who is using his or her spiritual gifts, who is building the body, who is discerning truth from error, and who is speaking the truth in love, who is in God-honoring relationships with people. Now, we're not talking here about a status, a goal that can be reached once and for all. You do not reach total maturity in God until the rapture of the church. You will never reach it until then. So it's a relationship. You just you, you build on this. So again, Paul talked about having not yet attained, about pressing on toward the mark. He said we, we tend to think of maturity as a status, and it's not we continue to press on towards the mark of the high calling of God. That's what Paul was saying. So young Christians are immature, while older Christians are mature. That's not completely illegitimate, but I, I, but I don't think it's the best biblical understanding of maturity. So part of that, I can't say that, that he's mature and he's not. Okay, we can't say that. We have to look at it in this sense. Maturity, then, is simply this, pressing toward the mark. Immaturity is complacency and self-satisfaction. So you can be in the church for 30 years and be in that last one. You can be immature because you're complacent and you're self-satisfied. So what I'm saying here, if you are one of those people, don't listen to the rest of what i got to say. If you're self-satisfied and complacent, then put your iPod on and listen to Benny Hinn or something. Okay, all right, because it, it's not going to do any good. Because we don't want that kind of person discipling or mentoring someone else. I do not want complacency and 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 self-satisfaction placed into a new person. You do not want that. Because we're always striving to do better we're always striving to go forward now in a general sense let me let me go just a little bit further here in a general sense let me give you something else and i'm not really getting to where i want to go yet just kind of giving you a broad outline what is mentoring you're going to see second timothy if you got that second timothy 1 1 and 2 it's going to come up in the amplified version i'm going to read it uh and what i've got here he said, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. And we notice that we want reliable people, not self-satisfied, complacent people. All right, that's what 2 Timothy 1, 1 and 2 is saying. Now being a mentor then is modeling and teaching other Christians the precepts of the Bible and Christian life, mainly prayer, doctrine christian living and worship it is the practicing of what romans calls mutual faith and actually romans calls it that it's a mutual faith a mutual faith is i am sharing with him the one i'm mentoring my faith he's sharing with me his faith it's a mutual so we grow together I I, and I'll give I'll give you a lot more here in just a moment, but we're growing together and learning together I've been in the church 30 years. He's been in the church just a few years But there's still some things that I messed up on along the way I want to warn him about and if he really wants to serve God He's going to listen to me and try to stay away from that Okay, so Uh, This goes on to say you know, uh, you know, we talk about this means encouragement uh, support and and our spiritual gifts all working as a team We share these things as a team to inspire encourage and instruct one another. I want to encourage him I you know, i seen something one time and I always really want uh, One time I got real close to doing it here and I never did but we did it in the philippines they did this in the Philippines. And, and that was, we were teaching. Now, this was ministers, and I understand uh, a little bit different, but we were teaching, uh, teaching on spiritual gifts. And we asked people, what gift do you think they had? They raised their hand. We asked them what gift they had. Then we told them, all right, come up here and minister in that gift. Now, they had to either have it or they didn't have it. If they messed up, we didn't condemn them. We helped them to understand why it didn't work that way. What was going on, what they needed to learn. You see, we don't instruct in things like that because we're afraid to in America. Because we're so afraid of the latter rain, charismatic and all the other stuff. The first time, it happens. I mean, I got accused one time of being charismatic because you know how I tell people, I said, these things don't come in your mind when you speak in tongues? You've heard me do it. And I got accused of being charismatic because I told the person that the tongues are going to come in their mind first. The rest of them would prefer that they, they seek for the Holy Ghost for 47 years. That's exactly right. But that's not a bad, that's a pretty good one. If you don't have new people come to the altar, you can keep the old 42-year-old seeker coming to the altar. <laughs> hey, we got people on the altar who's been there for 42 years. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going, but, you know, there's got, to, there, there's got to be an end to that all right moving on oh god help us this is the strength of the church i'm talking about without it we're going to fall <coughs> we will fall personally and as a church you have got to mentor you've got to instruct and encourage one another if not you're going to fall as a church mentoring has two main aspects one it is learning and then it is being a coach to the learner you learn then you coach others you learn then you coach others there is a need for mentoring being a mentor is modeling and teaching other Christians the precepts of the Bible and Christian life. Mainly, again, prayer, doctrine, Christian living, and worship. It is the practicing of what Romans calls, again, mutual faith. And this means encouragement. We have a call to mentor. Why would and should a more, uh, why would and should a more experienced and mature Christian walk alongside new and less mature Christians? Because we are called to be imitators of Christ. A Christian is Christ-like. We are to be like him. What did he do? He had 12 men that he walked beside. And, and, and you know, do you realize how ignorant those guys were at the beginning? I mean, really, you realize how ignorant they were at the beginning? These were fishermen. Nothing more ignorant than a fisherman. <laughs> and so, you know, he was, he was walking and he was, he was teaching them all this time and so so you see that this is that's what we're to be we are to be imitators of him and why why do we want to be uh, uh, mentors we we come it comes from gratitude you 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 can be a mentor we we as christians have a a debt to pay out of our gratitude for what god has done for us we got to consider reaching the loss as an opportunity to obey our call everybody's called to that that's not just a few people And I've always failed at at teaching this simply because I thought it was just for a few. But somewhere, if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, and we we know that God has got got something for this particular church, we know that He does, then we're going to have to come out of some of the way that we've thought and realize that every one of us has something to do. Every one of us. What to look for in a mentor. Again, these are generals, and I'm going to come back and do some other things. Well, to find to find a mentor for you and someone you can mentor to be is to be real. Okay, that's what you look for, real people. I got the greatest compliment today from my wife. She said, "You know, she said if I had a choice, I would choose you to be my pastor." See that? Now that was a compliment because most of the time. You know, these pastors' wives would love to go find someone else pastor them, you know. <laughs> but, they know that, but And, you know, the thing is, is because, and, and this, I'm real. And I want to be real. It's not because I'm perfect. It's because I want to be real. And, and, and that's what all, all mentors need to be, real people. In other words, they can't see you walking three foot above the ground all the time. They can't see you being perfect. You need to let them know. I mean, it's okay to walk three foot, but you've got to know, let them know that you used to have your feet on the ground. And that occasionally you still fall. So, we have to look for a person who listens is real, but vulnerable and honest, which makes you real in the lives of others. That's what makes you real to other people. And that's the important part. All right, now, I'll just give you some generalities here. Now, we're going to get to the program. Look at Titus 2, 2 through 5. uh, We've already read 2 Timothy 1, 1 and 2. Urge the older men to be temperate, venerable, that means serious, sensible, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in the love and in the steadfastness and the patience of Christ. Bid the older women similarly... To be reverent and devout in their deportment as becomes those engaged in sacred service. Not slanderers or slaves to drink. There to give good counsel and be teachers of what is right and noble. That's good, isn't it? All right, so the definition. We're going to the definition of mentor. Mentor was the friend of Ulysses. That's where it comes from. Anybody ever read Ulysses? How about the Odyssey? Anybody ever read the Odyssey? I've read that. Anybody that's educated has to read Ulysses and the Odyssey. So how many college graduates in here have not read Ulysses and the Odyssey? One. You've read it? What? Oh. I didn't know Russians read Ulysses. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got I gotta quit giving him grief. Did you read it? Have you? Okay, good, good. Yeah. The Odyssey is a long one, real long, but it's uh, it's pretty good. All right, so mentor was a trusted counselor or guide, a teacher or a coach. The working definition of mentoring is this, a willingness to pour our life into another person and share our life with them, a desire to live for the next generation. That's what it is. It's a, it's a desire to live for the next generation. Too many churches are only looking. And, and I, I've personally come in contact, and, and I felt sorry for, for actually for pastors who were stuck in, in, with, with a church that did not look to the next generation. And anything that he tried to do, they did not want anything else. They wanted to, when they died, the church had to die. And we don't want that. We want to see something vibrant and worshiping. And loving God all the way through my tenure to the next one. And the next one till Jesus comes. The way it should be. Now, let's look at the roll call of mentors. This, this, is, this is some really good stuff. Who was, the, who, who was the elderly woman that believed in Billy Graham and prayed for his salvation every night for ten years? Nobody can say that. But you all know Billy Graham. But this woman prayed for his salvation for ten years. So, th- th- this, th- who, who built a relationship with a, a young shoe salesman named Dwight Moody? Led him towards Jesus, encouraged him to lead others, setting him on the road to becoming one of the most successful evangelists in the 19th century. You don't know his name. Who mentored a young Catholic monk named Martin Luther, helping him discover the transforming message of grace and freedom at the heart of the New Testament? We don't know who that was, but there was somebody. You know, that's just it. Mentoring is thankless. You may, God knows who you are. And that's all that really matters. You realize that when we go to heaven, there's going to be so many big name preachers who God kind of pushes over to the side and looks to that one or two per- people who mentored and brought new people to God and won souls by the hundreds or thousands. Of, you know, and, and we don't even know who they are. We like the names, the person who fills the pulpits. We like to think about them. Oh, if I could be them, I'd have a special place in God's heart. That's not the way God sees things. Not at all. Mentoring is simply finding a young spiritual Timothy to pour your life into, to pour your knowledge into, and your expertise into. Bringing a Timothy beside you, not as a worker only, but one who will be trained to do your duties more effectively. One to assume your position. We prepare them for the church of tomorrow. Churches with great mentors are growing revival churches. That's why we are trying to do what we're doing with cell groups. We're trying to teach mentors and win people in that manner because this is going to be a revival church if we continue in the way that we're going. God wants us to be a soul winning church. And what God wants us, we're, we're not, not everybody's going to look the way you look in this kind of a church. We know what's right when we've been in church for a while. We know how to dress. We know how to look. We know how long our hair ought to be. We know all that. But let's give some other people a chance. You know, they're just four years old. A mentor has the following characteristics. They should be coming up behind me if she could read my writing. Giving and generous attitude. Giving and generous attitude. There again. What are you going to teach that new person? Are you going to teach them that you're a skin flint? You know, are you going to teach them that you're real uh, you know, you're you're real selfish? Are you going to spend time uh, with a bad attitude? Yeah, well, I wouldn't be messing with you if Robertson hadn't said something to me about it. giving and generous attitude number two willing to empower others is not fearful of his position or his title willing to lay position on the line number three spends time with timothy pouring himself into the young man number four is excited when Timothy has good things happen to him. God help us with this. I, I, I want to be excited when, when somebody tells me, one of the ministers tells me they had a good service. Or they, I, I, I'm excited about that. Let, let, me, let, me give you, let me give you a little something as mentors, and especially in, in leadership that's in the church. When someone tells you something good has happened to them, Not just don't just be excited, but let them tell you about it, and don't tell them about. Oh yeah, I do this to Brother Hill occasionally. Just he and he knows what I'm doing. He'll call me, give me some message. He's going to preach, and I tell him, Yeah, I preached that 20 years ago. You know, you know that kind (laughs) of. But you know, it's 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 you don't don't go telling them how. Oh yeah, God did this. I, I. You don't have to. God's done great things for you. That's the reason you're in the position you're in mentoring this person. Let them tell you. Let them be excited. Don't take away from them. Don't take away from them. Let them have something good to talk about. All right. Number five. He's not jealous about the growth of others. What if that person that you're mentoring becomes a better Bible study teacher than you? What if they teach more than you've taught? What if they're a better preacher than you are? You know, you have had a slight little bit of that, and that's all that matters. You've helped him to get that. You should be excited about that, not jealous. Number six, develops leaders to be better than himself. You develop them to be better than you. Number seven, a mentor should be self-disciplined. In other words, when you don't feel like being there, you don't feel like talking, you do it anyway. When you don't feel like being nice, you do it anyway. You don't have a right to be able to vent your feelings to someone you're trying to help. You don't have that right. You've got to vent your feelings to somebody, vent them to Jesus. That's what it's all about. Six, develops leaders to be better than themselves or himself alright number 8 willing to take risks what am I talking about willing to take risks what am I talking about raise your hands go ahead you can you get cooties or something they get cooties. you <laughs> get Yeah. True. If we can't handle the evil spirits then we need to do something else. <laughs> you know, that that's exactly right. We are God's people. We have been given power over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, so we, have, we don't worry about that. You don't think about things like that. You don't worry about it, but you do take a risk. There is risk that you have to take. Go ahead. Emotionally. Now, that's a good one. That's right, and that's a good, that's a great point. You don't take it personally, and you will. There's an emotional attachment that you get. People backslide, sometimes they come back. You know, I made a statement one time uh, talking about uh, dealing with with people, backsliders and so forth, Uh, and I've talked to the leadership, and I said sometimes you just have to let people go and continue to pray for them, and then when God deals with you, you call that person. I had that happen to me just two days ago. I was, I was, I'd sit down and God, I'm not going to say the name, but God spoke a name to me, spoke it, and uh, I'd kept them on my God bless text messaging, you know, it's a wonderful thing, and uh, I had them on my uh, contact list, and I text this person, and immediately got one back, I just simply said, I've been thinking and praying for you, how are you, and they texted me back, and this person was 37 weeks pregnant, was at that point dilating, (laughs) and so so uh you know i i found this out and and uh they said they made this statement they said you don't know how glad i was to see your name pop up so so you know sometimes it's just a matter you don't they're never you, you, you don't take it personally you just you pray for them god always opens the door for it again he always does you don't you don't worry about the thing don't take it don't take it personally. Nobody likes to be let down in those areas and don't like to be rejected, but sometimes you just have to deal with it. Number nine, ready to be in the background and pass the baton before it's too late in the season of life. You have to be sometimes in the background, and that's just all part of it. Ten, sacrificial lifestyle for the betterment of the church, placing personal agendas in the background. And eleven, Feels personal satisfaction when Timothy becomes a better administrator, pastor, preacher, prayer, and teacher than him. They said all that, and and you should feel that way. It takes a leader to know a leader, to grow a leader, and to show a leader. It takes one. A leader to know a leader, grow a leader, and to show a leader. Let's look at the qualifications of Timothy. Now, we've seen the mentor's uh, characteristics. Let's look at Timothy's. Number one, Timothy has to carry the burden as his mentor. Okay? I, and let me just put it to you simply this way. Not everybody, I'll put it to you in a biblical way. Paul did not want to take John Mark. Barnabas argued with Paul about John Mark. According to Colossians 4, Barnabas Uh, Or I'm sorry, John Mark was Barnabas' nephew. So he took the side of his nephew in the argument. At that point, Paul could not deal with John Mark for whatever reason. But later, Paul and John Mark had several successful missionary journeys. Okay, now what am I saying? I'm saying that sometimes you have to have the right personality to mentor a certain person. Until that person develops, and sometimes an individual will develop where you can deal with it. You can't always mentor, and that doesn't mean that person's bad. Now, what if everybody had, had looked at, at John Mark and said, well, you know, Paul doesn't have anything to do with him, let's just toss him out. But Barnabas picked up and did it. And, and that is, that's, that's what you, you, you have to understand. Just because it doesn't work for you, that doesn't mean that person can't be mentored by someone else. Let's just be real honest. You know, if you're an old redneck, it's better for you to mentor an old redneck. Okay? If you're a highly educated college professor like Eldar, then that's what you mentor. You know, if, you are, if you're a fine chef like Brother Hill, then you mentor someone who likes to cook. If you're a fine golfer like him, he mentors a fine, you know, golfer. So, you know, it, it, I, you know, I know that sounds a little bit funny, but it, there's a lot of truth to that. Better find someone who can fit your personality because you'll spend a little bit more time with them and work with them. <laughs> All right, so carry the burden as a mentor. Number two, Timothy had to know, uh, you know, Timothy and Paul had to know each other's heart. They had to know what was there. Number three, they had to both have loyalty to God and to each other. They had to be loyal to God and to each other. Both of them had to have self-discipline. Number five, they had to trust. Not abusive in authority or with position. Well, you know, I'm the the assistant pastor around here. So What? And I can find more in Scripture about the ushers than I can about you. Okay? So you got to have the servant's heart. got to be willing to serve. Uh, number seven, he's got to have a teachable spirit. And that's something else. Not everybody's going to have a teachable spirit. Don't waste your time with someone's not teachable. Pass them off to someone else. They're not working with there. Then you move on. You move on. Don't just waste your time marking time in one place. And woe is me. I can't get it done. It's not working for me. God doesn't love me. Go to someone else. You've got to be a lover of souls. You have to have a consistent prayer life. You have to be and need to be a more than anything a people person, a people person. And this was my favorite. Timothy need to be a finisher, able to complete a project and take initiative. Complete, be a finisher. And for though this is just a general statement, we need more finishers out here. People who's willing to go and take it all the way and not back up. and let The devil will see to it that every obstacle possible will be thrown in your way to stop you from doing what you need to do. You have to ignore obstacles and keep moving. In some cases, now this is something else we have to understand. In some cases, you're not mentoring. And I know I'm going to get a huge amen out of Sister Evan's. Sometimes you're a salvager. <laughs> you're not a mentor, a salvager. You just salvage people. Now, you know what a salvaging is. I give it to you because I used to love to do this. My son has done the same thing. You salvage off the bottom of the lake. You know, a boat sinks. And you do your best to get that thing floating again. And it takes a lot of work. And it takes a lot of air. <laughs> And it takes a a great deal. It's a big process. And sometimes that's all you're trying to do is trying to get that person to float again. You're not teaching them anything. You're just salvaging them, trying to get them up to where they can get some Holy Ghost air again. But that's still a process that needs to be done. It's still part of that process. Go ahead. That's true, and that's a point because salvaging is a lot of work, a great deal. So every leader should have three people within their sphere of influence. Anybody know that answer? Three people. Do you know that one? What is it? What? Oh, you cheated. Okay. Well, what is it? Mm-hmm. Okay, I can't remember either. Um, well you need a you need a young Timothy to mentor. okay, you've got to have that an elder or an apostle Paul, and that person is to give you an apostolic word. You need someone to give you an apostolic word. that's going to keep you on the right path. Then you need an encourager or a Barnabas, a fellow peer to share with to encourage each other. You need that. You need someone to give you an apostolic word, you need an encourager and you need someone to mentor. Everybody should have that. I mean, a lot of times you're going to get your apostolic word from right here. And you're going to have a friend that's going to be an encourager. If you don't have a friend that's an encourager, find another friend. In fact, if your friend is a Timothy, then just make that the one you're mentoring. Find someone else to encourage you. But you need that. For half of all the Nobel Prize winners were once apprenticed by other Nobel laureates. Do you realize that? half of them there was another and that's it you want someone that can that that knows what's going on how to do it honestly i'm not going to go and have a person not that i don't won't like that person i mean they could be my friend but i'm not going to have a person mentor me that has 25 30 people in church that doesn't mean i don't like them and i say god bless them but if i want to learn how to have revival i need to go to someone's got a thousand in church that's just the way it works. You, you need, if you want to be a certain way, you be a, that kind of person then find someone that's like that and let them mentor you. Now, here are some different uh, methods of mentoring. Number one, write an encouraging letter as Paul did to Timothy. Paul wrote, we have two books in the Bible that were encouraging letters to Timothy. Number two, share how God has dealt with you as Paul did in Acts 22. Tell people what God has done in your life. Offer the support of your presence, even when you don't understand. You understand that? Even when you don't understand, you offer support. Now you think about this. Look at the women at the cross. When a brother or sister stumbles or embarrasses you, like Joseph did for Mary or Paul with the Corinthians, you get embarrassed. I mean, you stop and think about Mary embarrassed Joseph. The Corinthians was an embarrassment to Paul. But he still was there. He was still there for him. you're You're mentoring somebody. That person's going to stumble. They're going to embarrass you. <laughs> I could bring out something. A guy said one time that there was, uh, was this lady that was coming to church, and the pastor was telling us, and several people had been working with this person. And as soon as the weather got warm, she came in with just a halter top on to church. And, uh, you know, everybody was embarrassed. But right now, that person is one of the best people in the church. Now, what would happened if someone had went up to her and said something stupido? Huh? What would have happened? I know there's times we get embarrassed. I get embarrassed. But the thing is that sometimes you just have to overlook that and say, that's a soul. That's a soul. And then when the time comes, don't you go out there and you try to, if, if, oh, oh, if you try to dress somebody from, oh, don't do that to a new person. Don't do, you, I'll take care of that. I played with Barbie dolls when I was younger, so I know how to. I'm sorry, G.I. Joe. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> you know, you know how to dress them. That should come from up here. And we, we've had people who have actually gone to people, and, and it's not been for a long time, believe me, that have gone to people and say, if you want to go to heaven, you're going to straighten out in your dress. I've had people do that here. If you'd like to go to heaven a little faster, do that. Okay. Affirm his or her worth by doing so, doing kind things when they hurt. Matthew 25 tells you to feed the hungry, to visit the prisoners, to clothe the naked. Compliment a brother on the the progress he makes in the faith. 1 Peter, 1 Thessalonians are both compliments on progress. Both books are that. Be available and willing to listen. Number seven, be a cheerleader. Offer celebration when situations look dim, as Paul did in prison. Now, sometimes when people are so down, you just, hey, things are going to be better it's going to look up. You know, this this came to pass, just like so many other things in your life has came and passed. So that's just what you do. You, you, you are, you're a cheerleader for them. Number eight, jump in and help someone complete a job as John and Peter in Samaria. Number nine, stand up for brothers and sisters, defending them when others criticize them, as Barnabas did for Paul and John Mark. Now you think about it. We need to defend them. You know, if that person says, you know, go and they don't look quite right, and I go to McCormick's Creek Church, if they're judging me by something like that, then there's something wrong. Number ten, review with a brother or sister the record of God's involvement in your past or present so he or she can get the future in perspective. In other words, I don't want people to uh, to, to be down. I don't want to hurt their faith. But on the other side of it, they also have to be aware that they're going to be fought. That there's going to be battles. And every time you win someone to God, every cousin, nephew, niece, Jehovah Witness in the world comes out and tries to win them. Now that's the truth. And they have to be aware. You have to teach them. This is the book. This is the Bible. This is what this says. We can't change this. Now you have to make up your mind based on this, what you do. All right. We're going to the test of a mentor's heart. Everybody got that? Then I'm going to finish up just with a little bit more. Let's look at this. Keep these with you. Anything that you can come up with to make you a better mentor, write it. Put this on your mirror. Look at it every day. I'm willing to spend the time it takes to build an intensely bonded relationship with the learner. This is a test of your heart. Do you have a heart to do this or not? Number two, I commit myself to believing in the potential and the future of the learner, to telling the, uh, to telling the learner what kind of exciting future I see ahead of him or her, to visualizing and verbalizing the possibilities of his or her life. That's wonderful. If you can do that, verbalize what God has done for you. Just let them know what God has taken you out of. Let them know that God can do the same thing for them. God is no respecter of persons. He can pull you out of the, they pull him out of the same mess he pulled you out of. Number three, I'm willing to be vulnerable, transparent before the learner. I'm willing to not only share my strengths and successes, but also my weaknesses, failures, brokenness, and sins. Don't try to play. I said it earlier, don't try to play perfect. Don't try. I'm trying, I'm striving to do better every day of my life. Every day of my life I'm trying to do better but I need to let them know that I'm still working on it. I'm willing to be honest, number 4, yet affirming and confronting the learner's errors, faults and areas of immaturity. Honest, yet affirming. Honest and affirming. This is this is you know this is why you got yourself in this mess. But I know other people have done the same thing. So let's see if we can work around this. Let's see if we can get by this. Let's see if we can we can get you through this situation. Okay. I am committed, number five, I'm committed to standing by the learner through trials, even trials that are self-inflicted as a result of ignorance or error. Boy, that's a tough one, isn't it? Especially when you tell them, don't do that, and they go and do it anyway. Number six, I am committed to helping the learner set goals for his spiritual life, career, or ministry, and to help the learner dream his or her dream. Number seven, I am willing to objectively evaluate the learner's progress toward his or her goal. Number eight, above all, I am committed to faithfully living out everything I teach. A little thought from the pastor, avoiding having your ego so close to your position that when your position falls, your ego goes with it. All right, egos. Well, don't you wish you could get rid of those? To be a mentor, you must sharpen your people skills. According to a major study conducted by the Carnegie Foundation and Harvard and Stanford Universities, success at home, work, or church depends 85% on people skills and self-knowledge and only 15% on technical knowledge. If it depended on technical knowledge with me, I would be in a mess. I couldn't do it. But you know what? Everybody can hone their people skills. I've got a, and I won't teach it in here, but um, I've got a, a, a leadership course that I teach. I, I've got one whole hour that I spend on dealing with uh, hard-to-deal-with people. And uh, I point out the various, various personalities that sometimes we deal with uh, and how to deal with those personalities. All right, so number one, be a people person. Leaders, ministers, pastors, teachers are in the company of people most all the time. People persons attract followers. Friendly individuals that love, understand, that are kind to others are people persons. Now what you need to do is write down ten ways to improve your relationship with others. Think about that. Write that down. Ten ways I can improve my relationships with others. What can I do to be a better person? What can I do? There's nothing wrong with being a spiritual person. But when your spirituality gets in the way of dealing with people, then you're too spiritual. If you can't handle I, I'll be the first thing to say. A real spiritual person, according to the Scripture, is a person that can restore someone. That's what the Bible says. A person that has fallen can be restored by a spiritual person. So your ability to be spiritual, that means that you've got things, you're on top of things. Then you ought to be able to deal with some people that are having a hard time. You ought to be able to mentor some of these people that are struggling because you're a spiritual person. But you've got to get your head out of the clouds to do that. You've got to get your head out of the clouds. You can can let that person know you can be spiritual and be a human being too. You know, you don't have to walk around constantly in a state of of euphoria because, you know, God's talking to you 24 hours a day. I'm lucky if God talks to me for 10 minutes out of the day. But, you know, I cherish that 10 minutes. Moving on. Number two, principle of communication. It is vital that a leader learn well the principle of communication. In human relationships, communication is a two-way street. For example, you are throwing a ball or playing catch. The other person catches it. The ball then must be thrown back or returned. If one person fails to throw the ball back, the game is ended. In other words, if you throw the ball to him and he doesn't throw it back to me, then there's no more catch. That seems really simple, doesn't it? But that's exactly what communication is. I talk, give him a chance to talk back. If I talk 24 hours a day like my wife says that I do, uh, we don't play ball very well. But you know, when you really get on it, <clears throat> you, I, I've told you this before, but in case you haven't ever got this, why people talk too much is because they don't, it's not they don't want to hear what you have to say. is they want to control the conversation so you won't say the wrong thing. All preachers do that. They talk all the time. That way they can take the the conversation and keep it in the right direction see if you get a chance to talk you might say something i don't want to hear and so most people do that that's the reason you're so quiet is because there's a lot of you out there that know exactly what i'm talking about you do the same thing you know if you know a person is going to gossip about something then you're in a conversation with him you're going to control that because you don't want to hear the gossip i'm not saying that's right i'm saying that's why it happens but really, if we're going to play ball, we're going to have to listen. And when, when it comes to them doing saying the wrong thing, then you need to guide them away from the wrong thing, not necessarily hog the conversation. Tell them, look, I don't want to hear that. Let's talk about something else. Okay? So it has to be thrown back. The same again is true with communication. The information must be given received. Communication is the act of exchanging information. Hindrances to communication. <clears throat> All of you listen to this. And I have been critiqued over this all my preaching life. And I still get critiqued. It never stops. Improper pronunciation and poor enunciation. (laughs) I knew. These are hindrances to communication. Why is it? Especially from the pulpit. You say the wrong word, and the only thing everybody hears is that wrong word. It doesn't matter what else you say. You can say everything else. Everything be great. I mean, it can be. A, you can be the greatest. God can be right in the middle of all of it. You say or pronounce the wrong word, and that's all goes through the. mind. The devil loves wrong words. He'll use that and it'll just go through your mind. And th- I know because I do it from back here. Every time one of these guys preaches, I'll I will do the same thing. Uh, he used that word the wrong way. Yeah, you know. So what happens is that these words hinder a leader's ability to communicate ideas. The slurring of speech in proper terminology also attributes to poor dialogue with other people. In other words, I know maybe I'm going over this, but please, and maybe this is a little bit overboard, but please understand this. It does make a difference. And especially if you're you're speaking to someone who's a little higher on the, Communication level than maybe you are pay attention to what you're saying try to use the right words Communicating also beyond words good leaders communicate beyond the words themselves They express ideas through body language and inflection in their voice They speak with their smile their hands or their eyes when leaders fail to be expressive They tend not to communicate as well as they might otherwise good leaders tend to communicate an idea Six and ten, or between six to ten times before followers begin to grasp the idea and respond. Do you hear that? You have to do it six to ten times before anybody really gets it. Therefore, leaders should use a variety of means to communicate their ideas to people. A variety of ways to doing it. Real quickly, I'm running out of time, but is there any questions or comments, please raise your hand if you have a question or comment concerning anything that I have taught, not on anything else on what I have taught. Questions, comments, is it all clear as much? Nobody has a comment, my goodness. When no one has a comment, you know you have done the perfect teaching. That had to be an anointed. That just had to be an anointed. You sure that you don't have a comment? How about a question? Everybody but Sister Evans, she's always got a question. Nobody else? Clear as mud, stand with me. Please, go through this, improve, you've given those papers, look them over, pray about them. Lay those things out before you and pray over them. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Now you have to speak up. Uh, Yes, I can. You turn that person, when you've worked that long and that person knows what's going on, you turn them over to Satan that the body might be destroyed, that the soul could be saved. All right? That's exactly what you need to do. You turn that person over to Satan. And, and we biblically have the right to do that. You know, that, in that case, you know, I, I, know you're, I know that situation. And you, in that case, you've done everything you can do. But what that person has become to you is just become an obstacle. That's all they have become. Go ahead. All right. That's right. That's uh, that would be the completion of that. That's exactly right. And you know we're scared to make that statement, but that is not. That's not. That doesn't necessarily mean that person will be killed. That person will be taken down to the point. Go ahead. Well, that's where that's where brother. That from that point. Of course, now we're talking about a lot more years here. But we're talking about you've prayed and probably in the course of time she's prayed that prayer. God sends somebody to them and they probably ignored that person. But see, that's one of the areas that you do. If I can't deal with this, God sends somebody. That's part of the prayer. And God will. Go ahead. Well, twice in Scripture you see that brought up. Paul brought that up. And, and uh, so that is a right thing to do. There are people. There are people. It's, it's the tares that come up with the wheat. There are people out there that simply are, are not, they're going to, well, like the, the pig that goes back to its wallow, and the dog that returns to its vomit. You know, you're going to have those kind of people. And there are obstacles. They're nothing but obstacles, and they stop you. They, they get you so absorbed in them that you're not capable of doing anything else because you feel like you failed. Well, what did I do wrong? You didn't do anything wrong. You know, one thing's for sure. A minister is obligated to tell you the truth, but what you do with that truth, what you do with that truth is up to you, between you and God. So it's that way with anything. Anything else? Yeah. Can you do it too? what? Too soon? Well, yeah, I mean, you have to be honest with yourself. Uh, do I want to fool with this person? There again, I, I think there's stages that you go through. You, you deal with them and you deal with them and you've gone through it. And you've gone through it and you finally say, okay, I've got to back off away from this because you know when that person's stopping you from being being able to deal with anyone else. Then you say, all right, God, send somebody else. That's the next level. You say, God, send someone else to deal with them. Send someone else to deal with them. And then when God does, and you'll, I, I believe you'll know it, and they reject that person, then you might make one more try. But after that, you need to turn them over to Satan because nothing else is going to happen. Nothing else is going to work. Nothing will. All right. Okay. Turning over is is in, in prayer. In prayer that you literally turn the body over to Satan. That the body could be destroyed. That the soul might be saved. And you do that verbally. You do that. God, I can't do anything else with this individual. I turn them over. to. I know of four different, well, four, maybe more than that, but I know for sure four, different instances where people have done this, done this in the church. And I've seen differences. Now, I've not always seen people saved. But I've seen people made better. For instance, one particular woman I'm thinking of, her husband was bad and he never got saved but he treats her a whole lot better than what he used to because he was taken down i mean literally taken down you couldn't go much slower and uh and you know i believe that eventually he will be saved but now he's you know she can deal with him but it took that and she did that years ago so it's not always uh, I'm going to preach a message. I think I don't know. I may preach it Sunday night, but then I may not. I don't know. Just for you to know that, where it talked about what a um, a year is in comparison to uh, comparison to a day is a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is a day. Well, according to God's economy, our lifetime by the math is 11 and a half minutes long. Now that's in God's economy. So each lifetime we our lifetimes is 11 and a half minutes. So you think about that. Uh, that's pretty short. So for God, we live 11 and a half minutes, so we, we have to do a lot of things pretty quick. So, you know, your lifetime is, you know, God looks at us, we think that, th- you know, things are going by so fast, and it's not. It's not, you know, it, it it's not in our case. We In God's case, it's pretty quick, but not in our case. It's so 11 and a half minutes. So we have to get our everything done in that time. And and in that period of time, we cannot waste it with people who don't want what we have. Because, again, you have so much, so many out there. Yes, I'll deal with you and I'll love you, and, and uh, but I'm going to walk away from you and I'll continue to pray. And when God talks to me, God talks to me, then I'll come back. Or you can come to me. All right. Anything else? Comments? Complaints? All right, I better let you go. Let's raise our hands to the Lord right now. Father, we thank you for everything you've done, your blessings, your goodness, your mercy. I pray, God, each and every one, Lord, touch them, strengthen them. Let them, God, be drawn to that place that they need to be drawn to. Lord, to that place with you where they'll have understanding, where their eyes can be opened, Jesus, to what your desire for them and their life is. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Lord bless you. Go get your kids.